The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'm about you to turn with me to John chapter 6 this evening, John chapter 6. And last time we considered the uh, plain teaching of Jesus Christ of the doctrines of grace from this chapter and then the responses to that, the contrasting responses of the disciples that said this is a hard saying and they went away and then the response of the 12 apostles. Simon Peter speaking on their behalf and tells the Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And I'm going to go back and kind of focus on that again this evening, really focusing on verse 63, though. A verse, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and read a little bit more context for you. Um, we presented for you last time all of the uh, core components of the doctrines of grace of God's sovereignty and salvation, especially as we'll focus on this evening, God's sovereignty in regeneration is clearly articulated by Jesus Christ here all throughout this chapter. Amen. And he begins this conversation, if you remember at the beginning part of this chapter, he feeds the 5,000, he walks on the water, and then the people find him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And at some point... In the middle of this conversation, of course, it could have been repeated as well, but at some point um, we find in verse 59 that these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So uh, he could have repeated it, but at some point it shifts from being out of the wilderness to being essentially in church on the Sabbath day, if you'll let me put it that way. And um, I mentioned for you before, highlighted for you, that these people that go away are highlighted by the Holy Spirit as being disciples. But furthermore, they're disciples who, for all practical purposes, went to church on Sunday, right? They were in the synagogue. So disciples of Christ, they went to church on Sunday, but they were offended by the doctrines of grace. And then at their initial offense, Jesus says here in verse 61, doth this offend you? Like you... Uh, he could see the looks on people's faces, the same faces that uh, some, some of us might see as ministry. We can see when things either don't click or uh, not necessarily a look of bewilderment, but maybe a look of just plumb being mad. I think he saw it on their face. Does this offend you? And he says, what and if you shall uh, see the Son of Man ascend up where he was. Verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth and the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And then he addresses Judas in verse 64. But then he doubles down on the same point in verse 65. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. And that was the last straw. That was the last straw that from that time many of his disciples 
disciples who were committed to coming to church on Sunday, but they were so offended by that teaching that they went back and walked no, no more with him. Okay? But notice the simplicity of that statement right there in verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, and the flesh profiteth nothing. Right? That's a very sim- simple statement. Amen. Right? And everything that Jesus has been teaching here in this chapter is very simple. Doctrines of grace is very simple. Um, it can be summarized in the T that man sinned and Adam's original sin is imparted to all of us. But after that, the U, the L, the I, and the P, the rest of the doctrines of grace is very simple. God does it all. Right? He chose to be before the foundation of the world. He finished the work of salvation on the cross. The L, and then we're going to focus on this evening, the I. Irresistible grace. Immediate Holy Spirit regeneration. And then eternal security, the preservation of the saints. But to get irresistible grace right, to get uh, regeneration right, if you really understand total depravity, or here in this verse, if you understand the nature and the condition of our flesh, then that makes regeneration very easy, doesn't it? It makes it very simple. If we truly understand what happened in the garden, if we truly understand the depth of total depravity, then it has to be the spirit that quickens. Why? Because Jesus affirms, The flesh profits nothing. The flesh profits nothing. And it's just, uh, the more I I meditate on this and think about how radical (laughs) the simplicity of the doctrines of grace that we hold to in the Primitive Baptist Church, but we didn't come up with it in uh, later times. We didn't come up with it at the Black Rock Address in 1832. Uh, We didn't piggyback on John Calvin. Uh, We didn't piggyback on the Reformers. This is just the simplistic teaching of the New Testament Scriptures. Okay? So, the simplicity of the doctrines of grace is just astounding to me. The more I think about it, the more I interact with people, that it's so radical in the realm of Christianity today. And... You know, when you interact with people and you tell them that you believe that God chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world, not based on any foreseen merit, but solely by his free and sovereign grace, which is unconditional election and predestination, you know, that is radical to people. And it may be a hard saying to them and they may be offended by it, but that is radical. And then saying that Jesus Christ finished the work of salvation on the cross. He didn't leave it up to you. Uh, he finished everything that he intended to do on the cross. You know, that, that's radical to people. But really, one of the most identifying attributes of what we hold to in the Primitive Baptist Church that I, I think as you examine the realm of Christianity, you know, there are other people that will believe in some version of election and predestination that will hold to some version of limited atonement. But I would dare say, that what we hold to in simply upholding the New Testament scriptures of immediate Holy Spirit regeneration, 
in the realm of Christianity, there is essentially no one. And it's just amazing the simplicity of this, but yet how radical this simplicity is that essentially no one in the realm of Christianity would agree with us that people are born again by nothing more than the direct, immediate working of the Holy Spirit, not by, and when we say immediate, yes, it happens quickly, immediately, but that word immediate means no mediator. Not the mediator of the gospel, not the mediator of the preacher, the mediator of baptism, or even the mediator of your prayer, or your belief, or your exercise of faith. There is no mediator. How are people born again? We'll go back to John chapter 5 and reaffirm for you what we've already considered. We're born again, God's children are born again, by the voice of the Son of God, speaking to them, right? But... One of the most radical things, and it's just, again, astounding to me, that something that is this central in the New Testament and something that is this simple when you understand the flesh profiteth nothing and you understand total depravity, that immediate Holy Spirit regeneration is absolutely radical in the realm of Christianity today. And you want to know really what it boils down to? They elevate other other denominations other faiths they exalt the condition of man before regeneration right Mm. and what i want to focus on this evening is the flesh yeah because when you get the flesh right boy it has to be the spirit that quits right because they're the flesh prophets Nothing. <laughs> you know what Jesus meant when he said that? The flesh prophets, nothing. Okay? So what is the means of regeneration? That's, that's, one of, that's what we're going to focus on this evening. What is, what is the means or even the mediator of regeneration? Is there something in between Jesus Christ and the heart of the sinner that initiates regeneration of the new birth? And most of Christianity will tell the sinner this, that you are in your sins, and if you don't repent, if you don't pray, if you don't place your faith in Christ, if you don't, if you're not baptized, if you don't live a good enough life, then if you don't perform some action, then you'll never be regenerated, and then a time, God's, when you pass away, God's going to send you to hell, okay? Now, This is right back to, again, the simplistic teaching of grace versus works. Now, answer this question for me. If you start out a prayer, if you start out an action as an unregenerate person, and by the end of that action, you're regenerated, what were you regenerated by? That action, right? Okay. Now, that's simple to understand, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Now, the real problem is when you look at that person before performing that action and you understand that scripture says they're in the flesh. So tell me, how can they perform any action to get the spirit? That'd be a lot of profit. It can't have that. That's right, Brother Joe. That would be a lot of profit. (laughs) That'd be a lot of profit. And we know that it describes us when we're in flesh as dead in trespasses and sin. We know dead people can't do anything. But listen... 
when we understand that before the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and changes our nature, we are 100% fully in the flesh, okay? And the flesh profits nothing, okay? So when you tell people that are in the flesh, you need to do something to get in the spirit, we've got a real problem because you, you're in the flesh and you can't get out of it, right? And guess what? That's why God does send his spirit to born you again, right? Because he knows you can't get out of it, okay? The flesh profits nothing. Okay, let's, let's go to the book of Romans. Let's go to the book of Romans. And we're just going to hit a few places in, in making our way to the 7th and the 8th chapter. I want to highlight Romans chapter 3, the depth of total depravity. If you look at the book of Romans chapter 11, he describes the Gentiles being fully depraved. And then, then he uh, zones in on, on the Jews and then he lumps them all together in Romans chapter 3. And, uh, and we know this, this description of the total depravity of man, but it's kind of like... You know, Jesus says right there, the flesh profits nothing. And just in case uh, you were wondering what he meant by that, you know, there's not exceptions to that. There's not loopholes to that. You know, what does it profit? Nothing. Nothing, right? So, description of total depravity here. This is the condition of man in the flesh. In the flesh. Now, let's actually, let's, uh, let's define some terms first. Um, the flesh. The word that's used in the New Testament the Greek word, it's uh, translated as flesh and a couple different times, particularly in Romans chapter 8, as carnal or carnally um, is the Greek word sarx. And there, there's a specific definition as I was looking at this that really stood out to me. And it is the flesh which denotes a mere human nature, the earthly nature of man apart from divine influence. And that's, that's certainly true, right? But notice this definition. <clears throat> The sensuous nature of man that's described as the animal nature, okay? The animal nature with cravings which incite to sin. Now, what, what do animals do? What do animals do? Animals just react based on instinct. They, they react based on their senses around them. And they don't have the moral compass that man that is made in God's image, has the ability to reason in that way that in the unregenerate person is fallen and corrupted. But man still has a nature in our flesh that operates a lot like just animal cravings. Right. That we desire something, so what do we do? We, we do what is necessary to partake in what we desire to partake in. So I want you to think about that. <clears throat> that aspect and that presentation of the flesh and the carnal nature, that it's an animal nature. That we're, we just want to in, indulge and <clears throat> fully satisfy whatever cravings I have. I'm going to do what's ever necessary to satisfy those cravings. Okay? Um, so, Romans chapter 3, you have this description. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. There's no exceptions to that. The flesh profits nothing, right? They are all going out of the way. They are together becoming profitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And then he describes man from, from top to bottom, his throat, his lips, his mouth, his feet, 
There's no fear of God before their eyes. And he summarizes all this in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now, why can't you perform the deeds of the law, which essentially just saying works, why can't you perform a work to be saved to heaven? Why is it that we have to be saved by grace? Why? Because any work that you perform of the law, when you're doing it in the flesh, it can't have any profit. And furthermore, it can't please God. That's what we're going to find in Romans chapter 8. So even if you do something in in an unregenerate state that might give the pretense externally that might look good to men, without faith it's impossible to please God. Face the fruit of the Spirit. So until you're born again, you have no capacity to please God. Okay? So even if you went and, and performed the same action of what might be perceived externally as obedience to the law, that's still not pleasing to God. Right? Amen. So by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Then it summarizes how we are justified in verse 24. Verse 23, all this sin becomes short of the glory of God. There's no exceptions to that. There's no exceptions to original sin and the fall of Adam Amen. in the garden being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being justified freely by his grace. Okay, <clears throat> Romans chapter 7. And here in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is describing this conflict, this warfare between the flesh and the spirit. The carnal man and the spiritual man. And when you're born again, that carnal nature is not eradicated. Okay, and I want to make sure we highlight the language right here in verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. But notice the language here. Paul says that in me, me in my current state, my flesh is still in me. You know, this is not somebody else. It's not an out-of-body experience. This is still me. So there is a part of me that still has those fleshly, animal, carnal desires to just indulge in whatever I want to indulge in. And I want to highlight there, though, that is part of Paul. Like, it's part of him. And it's part of all of us, too. But he had clarity through the Holy Spirit. I know that in me, and he clarifies this, that is in my flesh because there was something inside of him that dwells a whole lot of good, right? It dwells the goodness of Jesus Christ. Amen. It dwells the goodness of the Holy Spirit. But in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Okay? Now fast forward on here. Um, yeah, we're going to have to skip a lot of this. Verse 5, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. <clears throat> For they that are after the flesh... Do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. See that clear delineation there? Um, We find this in in John chapter 3. He's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, you must be born again. And then he says, marvel not at this. Those that are of the flesh, those that are born of the flesh, are of the flesh. And those that are born of the Spirit are of the Spirit. I mean, there is a clear delineation. And how do you get from one side of the fence to the other? If you are... In, in the flesh that profits nothing, and then let's continue on here, the car, to be carnally minded is death. And that word carnally minded in verse 6 and then the carnal mind in verse 7, that's the same Greek word for flesh. That's all throughout the New Testament and that's also in verse 8. 
Okay, so when we're describing the carnal mind, what he's describing there is the fleshly mind. When you're in your flesh, your carnal mind in your flesh. Now, what's the, what's the end result of the carnal mind? It's death. It's death, okay? Now, if the end result of your carnal mind is death, how can you exercise your carnal mind and end up with the life of being born again? Right? Doesn't make any sense. Right. For to be carnal minded is life, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, notice this nature of this carnal fleshly mind. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It has no capacity to be obedient to the law of God. Furthermore, so then that are in the so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so you tell somebody that's in the flesh, all you have to do is this one little thing. Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross. He died for the whole world on the cross. All you got to do is believe. All you got to do is one little thing. Well, how are you going to be able to do that if you're in the flesh? You have no capacity in the flesh to be obedient to the law of God at all. Do you notice the language here? It's not just that it has the ability, but it's just not interested. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. It has no capacity. The fleshly mind has no capacity to be obedient to the law of God. And it has no ability to please God at all. Amen. Now, how do we please God? Please God by faith. faith. That's right. By faith. How do we get faith? Basically, through the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? But notice this. In the flesh, we have no capacity to be obedient to any command of God. We have no ability to please God. Okay? When we get that right, it's very easy to see that it has to be immediate Holy Spirit regeneration. Like God's not asking you that the flesh profits nothing. It cannot be subject to the law of God. It cannot please God. But you're in that state, so please choose to come unto me to be regenerated. You can't, you can't have any profit. You can't please God and you can't obey the Lord. You have no capacity. Okay, now let's, let's fast forward here in Romans chapter 8 to the, the covenant of redemption. <clears throat> the covenant of redemption. Now, a lot of people would say that, let's look at glorification. <clears throat> I think that's the easy one. That's the easy one. Um, I don't know of anyone that would say when Jesus comes back the second time and he changes, we're resurrected out of the graves and we're translated and we're taken to him in heaven. I don't know of anyone in Christianity that would say that glorification is a tag team effort. Right. You know, Jesus does his part in glorification and I do my part in glorification. You know, you know, some people would say that Jesus did his part on the cross in justification and I had to certify that or I had to ratify that. But look at these five components of the covenant of redemption And I want you to think about how much profit the flesh would have in each of these components of the covenant of redemption. Okay? And when I say the flesh, I'm saying the actions of men. What what actions of men influenced 
the five components of the covenant of redemption. Did any action of man influence God for loving you and predestinating you before the foundation of the world? No, it didn't. You know, did God look out and see who would choose him? Yeah, he did look out. You know what he found? The flesh doesn't profit anything, right? There's nobody that would choose him, right? So if it's conditional election, God didn't choose anybody. Okay, so was there any involvement of man in election or predestination? No. Okay, skip to justification. Was there any involvement of man or any involvement of the flesh in justification? Well, no, Jesus Christ paid the penalty uh, for our sins on the tree of the cross 2,000 years ago. Just like before the foundation of the world, you weren't there. You weren't there on the tree of the cross, right? You, have, you weren't involved in justification at all. And we know very well that we're, it's, glorification is not a tag team effort, right? right? So at a minimum, at a minimum, most people would agree. I think in Christianity, most people would agree that four out of the five components of the covenant of redemption are unilaterally performed by God. So explain to me why when we arrive at calling, when we arrive at regeneration, that now all of a sudden the flesh has got all the profit in the world. It's got all the ability in the world. And the other four components of the covenant of redemption, God looked at us and said, these guys are so sorry. I got to do it all myself. Right? Because if I gave them a shot, which I did in the garden, right. the perfect man messed it up. Maybe. Okay? Why would he then say, I'm going to leave calling for them to figure out how to get profit out of the flesh? Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave calling for them that have no capacity to obey my law to say, you need to do something to be regenerated. Right? No, all five components of the covenant of redemption are unilaterally executed by God, right? There's not one component of it that he leaves it up to us to accept, to execute. But for some reason in Christianity, calling is exalted. Regeneration is exalted. And for some reason, most of Christianity would say, there's some profit to your flesh that you have the ability to accept Jesus. Listen, you don't have the ability to even be, even if God said there was one thing you had to do, if you had to think a thought, if you had to pray a prayer, if you had to display active faith, which is just an oxymoron anyway, because you have to have the spirit to even display faith. But even if you had to do that, you're right back to total depravity that the flesh cannot please God. Amen. Right? Okay, now let's go back to the Gospel of John and just kind of do a quick survey for you of some of these same verses that we've already considered that are teaching the exact same thing. This is one of the core themes of the Gospel of John because the whole theme of the Gospel of John is calling upon the readers, calling upon the children of God, to believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's the whole theme of the Gospel of John. Okay? If you do believe, he's telling you, how do you have the capacity to believe? Because belief is the evidence of regeneration. That's not the cause of it. Right? Okay, let's go back to John chapter 1 really quickly. <clears throat> Verse 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born... Not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, 
See that? Not the will of flesh, nor the will of, of man, but of God. Those that have manifested publicly belief and come onto the, the stage to manifest publicly they're the son of, sons of God, and when they manifest that publicly by belief, that's evidence that they were born. And what's the means of, of, of birth? It's not by blood. It's not by lineage. And notice this language. Not by the will of the flesh. Why? Because we know what the will of the flesh is. The will of the flesh is to do the exact opposite of what God told you to do. The, the, the flesh is enmity with God. Amen. Our nature, and it's kind of hard for us to really, especially for those of us that are born again, to really wrap our mind around it. There's something inside of me that when God tells me, well, I say it's hard to, to say, uh, hard to wrap our head around. We all have this nature, especially when we were younger, that we don't have any desire to do anything until somebody tells you to not do it, <laughs> right? But for some reason, when God tells you to do something, I have something inside of me that wants to turn the exact 180-degree opposite and go the exact opposite. I want to be just like Jonah, turn the exact 180-degree opposite and go in the exact opposition of God. Now, that's hard for us to wrap our head around because the other side of us, and that's, that's why Romans 7 is so difficult, right, of the warfare. I have something inside of me. I'm looking at Jesus Christ. He's saying, follow me with a straight gate. And, and then there's something inside of me that says, turn around and go the exact opposite way and go to the broad way that leads to destruction. So I have one part of me that's saying, go north and I had the other part of me that's saying no that's the exact wrong way we need to go south right and you have that conflict every single day somebody's telling you to go in one direction God's leading you to go in one direction and you have something inside of you that's saying no we need to turn around and go the exact opposite direction okay so our fleshly mind wants to go in the exact opposite enmity 180 degree opposition to the commandments of God now we we didn't have enough time to spend there in Romans chapter 8 but that's why he says walk in the spirit mortify the deeds of the flesh right because the flesh is going to lead you in the exact 180 degree opposite of what you're called to do okay but what is the will of the flesh Going back to our verse here, Romans chapter 1, verse 13. What is the will of the flesh? It's sure enough in to believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. The will of the flesh is to reject Jesus Christ. The will of the flesh is to reject the law of God. You see? So why in the world would we then put the offer into the hands of those that are in the flesh and say, all you got to do is accept Jesus, <laughs> right? They don't have the capacity. To believe. They don't have the capacity to please God. They don't have the capacity to be obedient to the law of God. Okay, let's see Romans, uh, uh, John chapter 3 really quickly. We're making our way back to John chapter 6, hopefully. Speaking to Nicodemus here. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. I mean, that's so simple, right? How do you get from one to the other? It takes a birth, Amen. right? It takes a second birth. It takes being born again. Marvel not that I said unto thee, 
You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And now here's the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. If you see people exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit and walking in a way that is in accordance with a spiritual mind, what's that evidence of? That the wind of the Holy Spirit has changed their fleshly mind. It's changed their fleshly nature. Okay? John chapter 5. Verse 21, for is the man, oh, excuse me, for is the father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even though the son quickeneth whom he will, right? Who does he quicken? Those that pray to prayer, those that believe, those that perform some action in the flesh that you can't do anyway. What is the means of quickening? The will of the son. Yes. Right? He quickens whom he will, not in response to something you did, right? Right. It's initiated by Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Shall I come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Right? How are people born again? How is their flesh changed by the voice of the Son of God, by the Spirit quickening them. And obviously we know that Jesus Christ is perfectly one with the Holy Spirit. Okay? John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. All of them. Why? Why will they all come? Because it was covenanted and ratified in the covenant of redemption before the world even began in calling. Right? Okay. Verse 44. No man can come to me. Well, that, that aligns perfectly with what we've been reading, right? Why? Because they're in the flesh. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. That's the spirit that quickens. Amen. You see? And then, making our way back to where we were at, verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. And then, it summarizes yet again in verse 64, <clears throat> 65. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Now, why can't he come unto me? You know, he, he tells um, somewhere here in the Gospel of John, uh, See if I get the wording right. You know, you would not come if you could, and you could not come if you would. He tells some people, maybe in the, in the eighth chapter, that you cannot come to me. But even if you had the ability to come, you, didn't, you don't want to. Why? Because you're in the flesh. You know, you don't have that, that conviction of the Holy Spirit that wants you to turn around and follow Jesus Christ. You only have a nature that wants to go the exact opposite direction, right? So you have no capacity to believe. You have no capacity to follow Jesus Christ. So that is a very simple teaching of the new birth. The flesh profits nothing, right? You get the, you get the tea and the tulip doctrine right. You get total depravity right. Election has to be unconditional, right? Jesus is not waiting on you to ratify the work of the atonement in the ale and, 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 and irresistible grace. Yes, God sovereignly quickens us, but 
even if you think that it's up to you, if God desires to quicken you and you have the flesh profits nothing. So tell me how the flesh has the ability to prevent the sovereign God of this universe from borning it again. <laughs> you know, how does the flesh have the ability to stop the sovereign work of God in regeneration if it doesn't profit anything? You see? And then certainly eternal security and the preservation of the saints is secured solely by Almighty God. Okay, so back, back again in summary. What is the response to this? <laughs> Isn't it just amazing that even church-going disciples of Christ were so offended by this teaching that they said, you know what, we're, we're not going to follow him. We're going to go away. But then you see the contrasting response of the apostles. Verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Now, he has the voice of eternal life and regeneration, right? But also, these words that we have in the written scriptures, those that they heard audibly of Jesus Christ speaking right there, that, those are the words that give us clarity and knowledge about eternal life, right? About the means of eternal life. And the means of eternal life being imparted to your soul is by the direct, immediate working of the Holy Spirit by the voice of the Son of God in quickening your flesh that has no profit, that has no capacity to believe, but to obey God, that has no capacity to obey the law of God and cannot please God. God sovereignly changes your... He says this is the words of eternal life. What regeneration is, this is a powerful thought to think about. What regeneration is is that truly eternal life is imparted to your soul. It is. Previous to that point, you have an eternal soul. You know, sometimes we think about people being dead in sins and thinking, and especially since we describe their heart as having a heart of stone, that they have no capacity to have spiritual conviction, and we just think that there's nothing inside the unregenerate. No, they have an eternal soul. And their eternal soul... They're not born again by the Spirit of God. We'll go straight to hell and be in the lake of fire. There is an eternal soul that dwells inside of every man that's made in the image of God. But what happens in regeneration is that Jesus Christ imparts eternal life into that soul. Okay? And the idea that we're in our flesh and we have the ability to just reject the desire of the sovereign God of this universe to who desires us to be born again, but our prophet of our flesh has so much strength and profit that we can reject that. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Does it? None of this makes any sense <laughs> to exalt the nature of man to such a degree that not only does it have profit, but it has enough profit to either gain you eternal life or it has sovereignty to prevent the desires of the sovereign God of this universe. No, the flesh profits nothing, <laughs> right? The flesh profits nothing. And when we get that right, praise God that God in his wisdom and his will and his grace saw fit to send his Holy Spirit 
sovereignly into our soul to impart eternal life into our nature to where now we have a desire to obey the law of God, to please God, to seek God in the means of discipleship. Salvation from beginning to end, every part of the covenant of redemption, especially calling, especially regeneration, is solely by the unilateral sovereign work of Almighty God. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.